when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friend. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, it's Steve Off. You're listening to Crazy Train Radio, and that's the bottom line. Folks, it's your Croft here, as usual. I wanted to bring in a guest host for today because he knows some wrestling history. Uh, Being an author, he's written multiple books with several different wrestling talent of several different generations. Uh, The man on the phone with me now, and we'll be doing the interview with Mr. Lanny Papo, is Ian Douglas. Ian, how are you? I'm great, John. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, first and foremost, you know, before we jump into the interview, I want to give people an opportunity to know you, because like I said, you are a writer, an author, who's been published on several occasions. What are some of the books that you have written? Oh, sure. I uh, Well, I got my start as a reporter for NBC News in Flint, Michigan, before moving on to other things, and in recent years, I've assisted Dan Severn, Dylan Hornswoggle Postle, and Bugsy McGraw with their autobiographies. Well... Obviously, it's three different generations there, but first and foremost, what attracted you to writing autobiographies or writing in general about wrestling? Well, to give you the, to give you the condensed version, I was helping out the State Games of Michigan with some material for their blog, and 
in the process, I've been interviewing a few different athletes uh, that included interviewing Isaiah Thomas, the Detroit Pistons legendary guard. I interviewed Kurt Angle, who has actually become a bit of a friend of mine thanks to some involvement I had in the fitness industry. And, and Diamond Dallas Page, I interviewed him with regard to EDP yoga. He's fantastic. He was, he was fantastic on the phone. And then I was looking into more direct connections with Michigan, and I thought Dan Severn might make for a great guest. So I, I reached out to Dan via email. He responded very quickly. I only needed about 20 minutes worth of time on the phone for him for an article, and he gave me about an hour and a half. That's Dan. He was, he was, yes, he was incredibly generous with his time. And I just filed it away, you know, not, not having any plans necessarily to do so, but I was thinking, geez, if I had another dozen conversations like that with him, it would probably be enough material for a book. Now, it, it just so happens my cousin is one of the co-founders of the Dark Horse Brewery in Michigan. They used to have a, uh, a show on the History Channel called Dark Horse Nation, and the brewery happens to be about 20, 25 minutes from Coldwater, Michigan. Well, that came out in my initial conversation with Dan, and Dan would routinely check in to ask how I was doing, and he also talked about potentially doing something with the brewery, and I had to tell him, that I, you know, my, uh, Dan has a fairly wholesome image. And my my cousin and her husband, the founders of their company, they're they're hardcore Slayer fans. And Dan, I I don't think it I don't think it I don't think it aligns the the, the brand imaging. I don't think it, it aligns. But I was helping another client do an outline for book materials. I mentioned that to Dan when he asked what I was up to. He said I've been thinking about doing an autobiography. And I said, well, if you give me an hour a day for the next two weeks. I think we can get that done. And he agreed. And uh, in 14 days, we hammered out the interviews that 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 composed the material for his autobiography. And it just so happened that the day after we finished recording the final interview, I went to the gym. I was on the elliptical. And I listened to Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast, and he was interviewing the recently released, just released Dylan Postel. He'd just been let go from the WWE, Hornswoggle. And I was cracking up laughing the entire time that, he, that Dylan was being interviewed. I ran back from the gym. I sent Dylan an email and said, hey, I was thoroughly entertained by your interview. I think you should do a book because – I think it would be a, a very unique reading experience because your background has a lot of legitimacy that wrestling fans don't know about. And I, I showered, got out of the shower. He'd already replied and said, let's do it. So that's really how I got my start writing wrestling autobiographies or at least assisting wrestlers with their autobiographies. That's a beautiful story. Uh, however, I will say when it comes to Dylan's book, Fuck Ross Williams. <laughs> no, really? No, I, no, I kid. Uh, uh, Ross is a good buddy of the show, and you know we knew him. Uh, I was, I was his, 
I was going to say, Ross is fantastic. I don't have, uh, yeah. I don't have a negative thing to say about him. Oh, no, he'll, he'll appreciate that. Uh, but he, uh, we've known him since he was involved with working on Bob Holly's book. But fantastic guy. But, you know, you got to rip Ross once in a while. So. But, uh. Yeah, he, Public- he, he's he's got a he's got a tremendous style. He's great at breaking a he's great at breaking books down into entertaining segments. Um, frankly, he's better at it than I am, and that's that's one of the reasons he was brought in to work on Dylan's book with us. My style is is a, a bit more prosaic and classically structured than his, and he is. He's uh he's far more creative uh than I am, especially when it comes to structure. Well, before we jump to the interview and we take a quick break here, what where can folks find Ian Douglas about your writings and just everything with social media nowadays? Oh, sure. Um I'm not much for social media, but you can uh you can find me on Twitter at Revswim, uh R E V S W one M. Uh, there's, there's a joke behind that name that I don't have time to get into right now. And, um, it, it isn't really germane to this conversation. Um, you can also track me down on Facebook. I handle the account for Bugsy McGraw under, um, on Facebook under my name, Ian Douglas with two S's. I also handle the Facebook account for Bugsy McGraw's book. And in this case, that's Bugsy with two G's because that's his preferred spelling of it. And also, uh, if you'd like to take a look at my writings on arbitrary topics, uh, some relating to sports and some, uh, and occasionally relating to social issues, um, I am also a columnist for Splice Today, so you can find that online as well. Well, let's take a quick break, and we will jump into the interview with uh, Lanny Papa. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah! Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh, my God. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my! Excuse me! 
Crazy Train Radio. Hey folks, as advertised a couple weeks ago, but we had a little bit of a delay. We have a man who is known by many names, some good, some bad, depending on which angle you look at. He's known as Sleeping Lanny, or best known as the genius, Lanny Papo. Lanny, how are you? I am the genius, full of glory and renown, still living in the past. <laughs> well, he may be living on the past, but besides myself, the proc, we also have co-hosts for today, a uh, wrestling author who has uh, published a few wrestling books with several different talents, Ian Douglas. Ian, how are you? Doing very well, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure to be a part of anything involving Lanny Poffo, especially considering how he and his family were such great influences in my wrestling fandom. Well, well it's I'm a pleasure to be sitting here with Ian Douglas involved with him, too. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And for the latest book that I've seen with uh, Ian, we'll get a quick plug in, is with Hornswoggle. Uh, so make sure, and uh, Ross Williams will plug all that stuff afterwards. But Ian, why don't I, since you're the guest host today as well, why don't we start with your a question from you, sir? Sure. My very first question for Lanny actually has to do with the present COVID-19 pandemic. I'm wondering how that has affected his day-to-day life, if at all. Well, I was supposed to go to Germany and I was supposed to go to England, and both of those have been postponed. And uh, so that immediately took me out of the game there. On the other hand, uh, I'm 65 years old. I have a tendency to be quite lazy, and so uh, there's really no difference. <laughs> um, Interesting. In, and in, ter- in, in terms of in terms of wrestling appearances, I know especially around WrestleMania season. Uh, conventions and events of that nature, those tend to ramp up. Has this, has this pandemic erased some of those sorts of events from your schedule as well? I was supposed to do WrestleCon, which was going to be at Legends Field for the Yankees, uh, the Yankees, uh, spring training. And, uh, that was, that was canceled. So, um, basically everything's all right besides that. I'm really into Grubhub. And uh, Uber Eats. <laughs> well, speaking of that, doing interventions and going overseas and the different things you still do from day to day, Lanny, uh, in a normal circumstance. And I'm not the IRS, don't want specifics, but be curious to know, how does one uh, determine his value in wrestling? Because it's not like it's, you know, say you're a plumber or you're you're an electrician or a doctor or, you know, typical jobs without pay scales. Like, things you've been off TV for so many years, but people know who you are. How do you say, all right, I'll come in for this much or I'll do this or I'll, you know, handle the business logistics? Well, I'm not a price gouger. I just take what I'm offered, and if I don't like it, I don't go. And if I like it, I say yes. Um, now, how do you determine your price? Well, at my age, uh, I'm one of the few people from the 80s um, that's still alive. And um, so that, that has increased my value. Also, 
uh, I'm not, you're, when you get me, you're not just getting the genius or leaping Lanny. You're getting the brother of the macho man, Randy Savage. That increases my work. Also, um, I would like to say that the two things that do not increase my work is the fact that I am not in the WWE Hall of Fame and the fact that I'm not in a legend contract with the WWE. So that is good and bad, mostly bad. It just makes me a free agent. But um, the thing is, I'm very happy with my career. I am not angry, and uh, I look forward to the next 15 years till I become 80, and then we'll take it from there. There you go. Ian, uh, do you have a follow-up site? I do have a, a bit of a follow-up related to the the WWE Legends aspect uh, and the influence that has on the price that he's able to command, that talent is able to command on the independent circuit. Um, when you say that it that it hinders to some degree your worth, is it a matter of a percentage that you think you'd be able to? You'd be booked for fifty percent more in in terms of income. Um, are you able to put a definitive price tag on what WWE Legend status or Hall of Fame status is worth? All I can say is, um, if I were in the WWE Legend contract, um, I would be doing very very well without ever wrestling for an independent promoter. And then, of course, you're you're allowed to go do what you want to do because I see these guys all the time doing independent scenes. Uh, of course, after the coronavirus and all these talents that were released, you know, I'm starting to think that probably the legends will also be released. <clears throat> yeah, and as you say about the legends, uh, I saw a word late last night, but actually confirmed this morning about another well-known legend, Jerry Briscoe. Uh, being furloughed, released, however, you know, depending on whose report you take. You know, do you think people will be taking him up once this pandemic slows down just because of that knowledge he has to be able to even sit and teach folks? Well, he's 73 years old, and he still has his uh, body shop, Bristol Brothers Body Shop. So I'm sure that he, you know, he doesn't need to be traveling around like that anymore. You know, he's a fantastic person. I really like Jack and Jerry, the, the late Jack Briscoe. I was at his funeral. Excellent. Uh, you know, you have to admit, Jack Briscoe was the man in the 70s. Well, you know, and I say that with the knowledge because, and you're right, he don't need to travel. He don't need the headaches that one might see with the independent scene. But I was actually at a training seminar, not as someone who was getting into the business or anything like that, but just sitting back and observing. And it was really impressive to see and listen to what he had to say to the young talents going, hey, try this, try that, work on this, work, you know, just the different aspects of things that one might not think about what goes into their business. Yes, and, you know, I I was recently uh, in Ecuador doing a, a seminar, and I uh, also in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, and um, I was in uh, Red Deer, Alberta, 
while I was touring in uh, Calgary and Edmonton, Alberta. And this is what I have to tell the young wrestlers. You know, my brother was in perhaps the greatest match ever. Some people would say, can't prove it. Um, Ricky Steamboat against Macho Man, some people think that was a good match. Um, since you have YouTube and I have nothing to sell, I said, please watch it again for the first time. Maybe you've already seen it, but watch it again. Because I see a lot of good moves out there. But when they went for the cover, everybody pinned like they wanted to win, and everybody kicked out like they didn't want to lose. And the referee, would, uh, Dave Hebner, would throw himself on the mat. One, two, kick out, you know, and... uh Randy was a stickler on that. He said, anybody, anytime the guy's shoulders are down, to hell with the finish, count them out. If, if you don't want to, you know, if you keep your shoulders down, you deserve to lose. So you see a lot of lousy covers, you know, like uh, you go for the pin, they don't want to win. And you go try to kick out, they don't want to, you know. What I'm saying is it's got nothing to do with being a good worker. It's about desire and the mental attitude, nothing is better than a pin, and nothing is worse than getting pins. You don't want to be on your back, and you do want to win. So that's why the fans, 23 false finishes, and the fans went nuts every time because of the urgency. Well, the thing is, Lanny, I... Go ahead. Sorry, Oh, no problem. Lanny, I, prob- I promise this is going to segue into a question of the development of your wrestling career. But I, I must tell you, your brother, without question, is my favorite wrestler of all time, Macho Man Randy Savage, between 1985 to 1989, is still my favorite thing that I've ever seen in the wrestling ring. Nothing comes close. Um, whether he was face or heel, I always supported him. When I believed it was when I believed it was real, over and above Hulk Hogan, and a lot of it just had to do with his intensity at his size, fighting against much larger wrestlers and making it look believable. So, with that being said, that level of intensity that he brought to the ring is that something that was inculcated in him and in you by your father? Um, and if not, where did that come from? Well, that's a good question. And uh, I agree with you. I don't think, if you divide wrestling into like five categories, let's say the appearance is the first category because that's the first thing people see. Well, he even had special clothes in the airport because, you know, he wanted people to know him in the airport. So when he was in the airport, he he looked a certain way. And then when he was in the ring, he would walk down the aisle a certain way. When he took his whatever he was going to take off and just wrestle, he looked a certain way. He worked on his tan. He worked on his, uh, even even as you, as you know, Andre hated his baby oil, but he didn't make an exception for Andre. And uh, because of that, he suffered. Um, and then... When the bell rings, that was another category that he was uh, number one in. And also, he, one of the great things about the Ricky Steamboat match, um, he was absolutely 
um, okay with losing. Um, he's going to give up the title and compare that to selfishness, like the Montreal screw job. Well, it doesn't matter who wins as long as it isn't me. Or, you know, the thing is, sometimes you, uh, you can't win unless you lose. So there, he has no ego. And his goal was to try to top that match. And when you're a perfectionist, you can never top a match like that. But when he saw the emergence of the greatness of Shawn Michaels, he wanted to end his career in WrestleMania with uh, Shawn Michaels. And loser, if Shawn loses, he loses his hair. And if he loses, he loses his career and then retires to the announcing table. Well, uh, Pat Patterson was starting a youth movement, and he found that very insulting that he wasn't even good enough to beat at WrestleMania. And as a aficionado of wrestling, let me ask you a question. Maybe he was a little older then, and maybe he couldn't top the match with Ricky Steamboat. But wouldn't you love to see him try, and don't you feel gypped that you didn't get to see him try? Of course. I would agree with that as well, because maybe he was a few years older physically, but the big thing I've always noticed in, in speaking with folks from the industry that would have made up the difference, Lanny, would have been his experience to say, this is how I think things will go. You know what I mean? Because Randy was so smart to the business. Randy thought about the business every single day. And, uh, you know, here's the deal. He never talked about wrestling when he played baseball. And as soon as they unconditionally released him for the third time and he became a wrestler, he never talked about baseball any time after that. He focused on baseball when he played baseball, wrestling when he did wrestling. And that's it. And, uh, but the thing is, too, with, with wrestling, is it's the one thing that I can think of that, you never 100% master. And that, like I said, his knowledge a few years later from Ricky Steamboat would have made him, and it showed in WCW, made him that much better. Oh, and I forgot to add, uh, when I was dividing up between, you know, your appearance, the entrance, the physique, the, uh, the, ring, the, the ring ability and all that, I forgot to say the sizzle. I mean, I told you about the steak. But the sizzle was, of course, the interview or the promo. And believe it or not, that was the missing piece of his puzzle. And it wasn't until, I'm going to say, 1977 that he mastered the Macho Man promo. And um, I'm glad to say I helped him do it because I asked him this question. Since your name is Savage and since, you know, you have hair like a savage and you have a style like a savage, of all the savage wrestlers, who did you emulate? Who did you appreciate in their interviews? And he thought about it, and he said, courtesy Akea and Pampero Purple. And Pampero Purple just died on, like, June the 7th or June the 8th of this year. This has been a mm -hmm. terrible year for deaths in wrestling. And uh, if you go on YouTube, he, he acted like this. He had a uh, – he was Armenian – with an Argentinian accent. He goes, you are watching number one station in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. I said, Randy, 
we heard that thing a million times. That was the bumper they used or the stinger for the TV, whatever you call it. And I said, you read that. He says, you are watching the number one station in Hawaii. Ooh, yeah. And I said, oh, my God, he's got it. <laughs> that sounded like money. He said, do you think I should call Purple to ask him permission? I said, no, he stole it from the Beatles. And the Beatles stole it from Louis Armstrong. But Louis Armstrong did it his way. And the Beatles did it their way. And Purple did it. Oh, yeah. And Randy did it. Ooh, yeah. So everybody says, oh, yeah. But nobody did it like the other guy. Now, if, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, um, Pompero Furpo spent a significant amount of time in the Midwest and uh, in the Detroit big-time wrestling territory owned by the Sheik. And I, did you and your brother get your starts uh, wrestling in, in the Detroit region? I know you spent some time there. Randy, as soon as he... Um as soon as he got fired from baseball for the final time, the year was, let me think. Um, hang on a minute. I think it was 1974 or 75. And my, my dad and I were already working for the Sheik. And my dad asked the Sheik if Randy could come in. And he says, yes. And Sheik loved Randy and, uh, you know, took good care of him. And, you know, he was, uh, even when he was skinny, he was fun to watch because he was quick and athletic. And I knew that Randy was already going to be one of the best in the country, even before the world found out. And I, I have a follow-up question to that. I helped Bugsy McGraw with his autobiography. And he, by the way, has a lot of nice things to say about your brother and your father in that book. And Bugsy got his start in Detroit, but he spent his peak years as a vicious, big-bumping heel in the Pacific Northwest and in Australia, and also, in the, and also plenty of it, in, a significant portion in the Maritimes. And all of that footage is gone. So when people think of him, they think of him as a comedic act from the 80s without realizing he was this vicious, athletic, and large main event heel for about 10 years. But that footage doesn't exist anymore. Do you think the absence of footage from and for maybe about 10 years' worth of your career – do you think that hurts you historically and the impression that some people have of you? Um, I don't I, I never thought about it. You might be right. I just don't care. You know, it's okay. like you know, the thing is, if I could be just remembered as a guy that never got arrested, a guy that never did the drugs, a guy that um didn't drink and drive, um, and the guy that was the Macho Man's brother and the son of Angelo Popple, that's good enough for me. Well, speaking of that, you know, thinking about your legacy and such, but didn't drink and drive, didn't get into the drugs and all that, 
I want to go a little personal if I can with you quickly. Uh, what were your thoughts or how did you go about trying to stay in great shape both physically and mentally with such long trips on the road? But also, how did that affect you with some of these long trips, especially in the WWF days, trying to be a good father as well? Okay, um, I'm still, um, my daughter's going to be 36 years old on May 29th, and um, I've got a grandson that is three years old and another grandson that is 20 weeks old. And um, I was just recently on FaceTime, um, and I'm not going to tell you where they live because my daughter likes her privacy. But the thing is, the greatest thing, the worst thing about wrestling is the travel, and the best thing about wrestling is the travel. In other words, when you mentioned Australia, I've been to Sydney, Perth, Melbourne, and Brisbane. When you mentioned the Maritimes, I've been to New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island, and Newfoundland. You know, and it's, it's, and when you mentioned the Pacific Northwest, I've been to Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, Vancouver, BC, all up and down the Pacific Northwest. And I meet people every day that have never been anywhere, or never been anyplace, or there, and I got to go for free, didn't cost me a dime, and I made money. So how can I be angry? But speaking of that, uh, the FaceTime and all that stuff, do you think that would have made things a little easier for you because you you would do shots of 30, 40, 50 days on the road, then come home for two or three, and, you know, do you think your being a father would have been different in terms of... uh, because we have certain technologies say that we didn't when you were in your heyday. Well, for one thing, for sure, it would have been better to have a GPS. <laughs> didn't have. And uh, can I talk a little dirty? Go for it. I was a, uh, I was an Indian, uh, an honorary Indian tribe member of the Pagawi Indians. I would, I would make a trip without a GPS. I would stand on the hill, look all four directions, and say, where the fuck are we? So anyway. follow up on that? Go, go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> you know, it's true that I'm divorced, but, you know, I did better than O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I, did, I did better than the other wrestler that we shall not name. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, um, I don't like to blame wrestling on my divorce. Um, nobody held a gun to my head to get married. And um, I also believe that if you get remarried, that's a victory of hope over experience. And two words I'm never going to say for the rest of my life is, yes, dear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Do you want to follow up on that? <laughs> um, Yes, in, in, in a way, I'll follow up on that. Um, when it came to, when it came to travel, I'll shotgun these questions. When it came to travel, when you were working in the same territory as your brother, would you travel with him? 
and also there were periods, um, I think there was a, in fact, I'm sure there was a period when you were working in Mid-South with Rick Rude and working with the Midnight Express while uh, Randy was working in Continental. So when you were together, would you travel together? And also what was it like being apart from him? Okay, Bill Watts is a very kayfabe guy. And if a heel or a baby face were caught riding together, you'd be fired. Also, in the Maritimes, um, the Cormier family and Leo Burke were also very big on KFA. There is no riding heels and baby faces. And in the ICW, my brother was very KFA. And uh, this was our promotion. And heels and baby face did not ride together. And um, when we got to New York, nobody cared because we were in the entertainment business. So nobody worried about it. They didn't like it, you know, with Duggan and the Iron Sheik, but that was different. That involved, you know, the Sheik had the gimmick. <laughs> it was bad Sheiky, baby. So, and Duggan suffered for it. He's just trying to help him out and got caught. So anyway, um, but when I was in Continental Wrestling, the uh, Memphis, Jerry Lawler, Jerry Jarrett, my my brother and I traveled together every day. And um, Go ahead. Sorry. sorry I, I, yeah, no, no, no problem. And would if, if the two of you were on different sides of the locker room, so to speak, if, if he was a heel and you were a baby face, if would you go to great lengths, even though you were siblings, not to be seen together in public? We went to great lengths, yes. Um, I didn't feel it was important as he did. I, I felt that your work in the ring would tell the people if this was legit or not. And um, But he felt that way. And then when he got to New York, he realized that... Um, those cows had left the uh, ranch, you know, so he didn't, he didn't care anymore when he realized nobody else cared. Did, did that ever create a, an awkward situation? Because the two of you in, in ICW, in your family's promotion, you two were consistently working on top and exchanging the championship. So even working in your home territory, you'd go out of your way not to be seen together? Yes. Yeah, and that was uh, on Randy's insistence. <sighs> no one liked the Macho Man. Yeah, he didn't. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, he wasn't wishy washy. See, I believe in uh, do your best and forget the rest. And he believed if it could have been better, he would suffer for days, you know. And I just can't live like that. But that's the reason. I was never as good as the Master Man because he put more into it. That's why he got more out of it. Now, I, I mentioned, to, actually inadvertently, but I mentioned your run in Mid-South with, uh, with Rick Rude working against the Midnight Express. Do you, have any, do you have any memories of working with Rude against the Midnight Express who were considered one of the greatest tag teams of all time, along with Jim Cornette? Oh, I agree that Jim Cornette and Bobby Eaton and Dennis Conley were the best 
Yeah, they were fantastic. Um, Rick Rude was going to become fantastic. He wasn't then. He was green then. And um, But you could see that he had that star quality, and he just needed a little buffing. Well, I was amazed that a few years later, here he is in WWE, WWF, and um, he had improved like night and day. And, of course, you know, you can't take that away from him. Um, I wish he hadn't, uh, you know, gotten into that lifestyle that shortens your life. But as far as the entertainment of the people, you had to give it to him. He was the man. Well, my final question for you, Lanny, and speaking of that, and I know you've talked extensively in other interviews about it, and even on your own genius cast when that was up and running, Andre. Now, with your experience with him, we all know that Andre was one to like to have a glass or a bottle of wine or whatever the case may be, but you weren't much into the drugs and the alcohol and everything else. Not to say he was in the drugs, but did he put pressure on you to take a boss have a glass of wine when you were with him? Yes, let me uh, give you the whole story. First of all, okay. I came to the WWF in June of 1985, and I was amazed that Andre had aged. And in the ring, he went from fantastic to not fantastic in the short time. You know, because let's face it, when, you know, there's only so many shots in the old magazine, and uh, he had gained a lot of weight, he's getting a bad back, and you got to know that I'm, that giants suffer more than normal-sized people, you know, the, the sheer bulk of them. So, so then I remember it was Buffalo, New York, December 28, 1985, I remember the date because I just turned 31 years of age. I go to the Buffalo Auditorium. The snow is past your head, but those people are used to it. And uh, where Florida, it would uh, cripple us, you know. They, they don't even bat an eye. So I see Pat Patterson, and he says, look at poor Andre. He doesn't have a deck of cards. And he says, and he's going to be here for hours. I've never seen him so miserable. So I go upstairs, I get $10 to a girl, she goes outside, gets a deck of cards, tells the usher that she's back, he yells at me, I go upstairs, I try to give her back her change, she won't accept it, I force her to get the change back, and I come back with bicycle playing cards, the finest in the world. So I go over to Andre, where he's sitting down, he's seated, with nothing to do, bored out of his mind. And I said, Andre, voila. And I show him the deck of cards and I give it to him. And he starts to little cry. He starts crying. And he says, merci beaucoup, monsieur. And he grabs me by the head and he gives me that European kiss on both sides of the cheek. And I knew better than to fight him. And uh, then he could play cards. And uh, from then on, he called me boss mine, which is what he called you if he liked you. And then, when he made the movie The Princess Bride, Lonnie, come to my room. I said, oh, brother. <laughs> and then he he feeds me. 
He insists that I have some wine. I have red wine, which is good for your arteries, or at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> and then um, he plays the Princess Bride. Lenny, what did you think of the Princess Bride? What did you think of my performance? So I said, Andre, it sucked. Do you believe that? <laughs> no. Okay, you're right. <laughs> you know I <laughs> I said, Andre, it was fantastic. It was magnifique, which I know a few words in French. Magnifique. And he said, Larry, do you really think so? I said, I really do. That was a beautiful performance. Oh, thank you so much, Larry. And then every time he saw me, he said, come to my room. And he would feed me, and we would play the movie again. I think he played it six times. And I was starting to um, get bored with it. I would have enjoyed it more if I was in the movie, but, you know, six times is enough. And um, that's basically the story of me and Andre, uh, Andre and I. Um, he just, I'll tell you what, it's a credit to Hulk Hogan to have such a great match with him at WrestleMania three, because Andre was just the name giants and just their marquee, but he wasn't as good as he was. He had a terrible bad back, and Hulk had to work around him, and he did a great job. Ian, do you have something you'd like to end up with? Oh, absolutely I do. Go for it. I was was thrilled when the WWE announced that they were – going to be releasing a biographical DVD on the history of your, on the career history of your brother. And I was very excited that you were so heavily involved in it. But yet, once it, it, it came out, I was, and I viewed it, I was left feeling a little bit hollow because there were so many elements of, of your brother's career um, his his run as the Macho King wasn't even mentioned. I mean, it was just a, a very condensed um, review or overview of his career. And I'd like to get your thoughts on the finished product because on the one hand, I was happy something was released. On the other hand, I felt they could have done a far more thorough job, especially since other – WWE releases from that era were two times as long. So, anyway, um, enough of my meandering. Uh, what were your thoughts on the finished product of your brother's career that they put out? I think the best part about it was it had actual footage of Randy talking extemporaneously in a shoot interview style. So that kind of made it come to life a little bit. Also, my mother passed away in on uh, June the 3rd of 2017, she didn't want to be in it. I, I forced her into it. And I think she did a fantastic job. Don't you agree? She did. She did. I liked it. And it nice uh, to hear mom. Yeah, she, was, she died at the age of 90, and I think she was about 88 when they made that tape, you know. And uh, I thought she did a great job, and she could talk about Randy in a way that I couldn't. And uh, only a mother would know. So that that's what I got to say about that. I was very disappointed in the fact that um, 
Pat Patterson couldn't resist the opportunity to say that my dad was cheap. Fellas, let me tell you this. I don't want to get pissed off, but let me tell you this. Man to men, okay? Nobody says Bam Bam Bigelow was cheap because he stayed at the Acme Rick Central Arms Waldorf Plaza. But he was in the newspaper for non-payment of child support. So my father was the opposite. He denied himself a lot of luxuries in life. But when I mentioned violin, he bought me an imitation Stradivarius. And when I mentioned photography, he bought me a Nikon F Potomac TM with five lenses, a Durstan 600 and larger, and a whole darkroom unit. And the reason I remember this is because I had to go up to my parents and say I'm no longer interested in photography or violin. And that's what kids do. They go through phases. But my dad was, he, he was raised in the Depression, and he was always, always, you know, trying to save his money. And he was always self-denying himself immediate gratification. But he was, he made sure that Randy and I had a better lifestyle than he did. And my mother was the same way. And these are members of the best generation. Mm -hmm. So, Pat Patterson, as soon as you die, I'm going to stop talking about you. But now that you're alive and you can hear me, I got two words for you, a verb and a pronoun. Don't you dare criticize my father. And don't you dare. And my brother, he never locked Elizabeth in any dressing room. You take that back. First of all, none of you have the guts to try the door because Macho Man was on the other side of it. And now that he's gone, you think you can lie about it. If you lie about Randy, I'm going to tell the truth about you. And, you know, you talk about, okay, Randy got a divorce. Well, how many divorces have there been in wrestling? How many has Jerry Lawler been? 20, 30 divorces? You see what I mean? And he mm -hmm. was out there talking about Randy, about locking her, you know, locking him in the closet. Let me ask anybody listening, let me ask you a question. Don't go criticizing Randy and Elizabeth. When was the last time somebody made love to you in Memphis? You know, all these people that are divorced 20 times have no business. I'm divorced, man, a uh, one-time loser. I'm not going to give marital advice to anybody. But Jerry Lawler, if you look at his Wikipedia, you know what it says? Um, he's been married a few times. And it also says that, uh, and I know that WWE has a very strict rules against um, spousal abuse and strict rules about underage uh, girls. And according to Wikipedia, I don't know if it's true or false, but it's definitely in there. So um, when you point your finger, there's three pointing back at you. And while I'm alive, nobody can knock my father or my brother unless it's true. And everybody has right. their faults, but if you're going to throw stones, be prepared for stones to be thrown back. Thank you. Yeah, I, I felt they tainted what could have been a, what should have been a celebratory and comprehensive product about your brother's career with their own agendas and uh 
Yeah, unsubstantiated opinions. You know, I'm a father of one and a grandfather of two. I hope that I'm as good a father as my dad. And, um, you know, I'm just serious about that. And, uh, my dad, my dad, uh, they were married 61 years, separated only by death. Uh, they were definitely the best generation. I, sh- my generation sure wasn't. And the generation going on now, I can't even understand their music. I'm part of that generation, Lanny, and there's stuff I don't get why people do. So, Before we let you go, Lanny, I want to say I appreciate having had an opportunity to speak with you. I appreciate John for inviting me on the show. And also I wanted to let you know that the the only wrestler death that ever moved me to tears was the death of your brother because for me as a seven-year-old growing up in the Detroit, Michigan area, um, it wasn't Saturday morning cartoons. It was wrestling on Saturday morning, and Macho Man Randy Savage was my bus buddy. So when he passed away, it was like a part of my childhood died as well, and I just want to thank you for everything you've done for the industry um, and through you, um, thank your brother and your family for the sacrifices they made in entertaining me and others in my generation. Well, I appreciate that, and I would like to say, outside of my family, the, the deaths that affected me the most, Bobby Heenan, Nick Bockwinkle, Mean Gene Oakland, Howard Finkel, there's more, but those are the first ones I can think of. Uh, there were some very, very good people that we lost. Yes. Well, Dan, I was going to say thank you very much and all as well, Randy, but I think Ian, uh, being the author that he is, articulated everything to a T there. That's why he's in the writing business. But we do appreciate the time. Feel free to check out GeniusLineTaco.com. You can find them on social media and everything else currently. He may be of a generation before me and Ian. However, he is smart to a lot of the technology of this generation. Lanny, thank you so much. Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's going to make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies.
For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend whilst in Cell Block 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. listening to Crazy Train Radio and don't ever forget, I love you.